Today on the Matt Wall Show, performative wokeness has reached epidemic levels in this country, and it was on full display yesterday. I'll explain. Also, we have our five headlines, of course, including some updates on that weird story of the supposed right-wing plot to kidnap the governor of Michigan. It appears that this was more of an FBI plot, which the FBI then foiled, which was nice of them. And Prince Harry is once again showing how much he desires privacy by writing an explosive memoir about the royal family while AOC shows how much she hates capitalism by investing heavily in her online merchandise store. In our daily cancellation, we'll talk about the ladies of the U.S. women's soccer team who showed how much they hate their own country by kneeling before their match last night, and then they lost badly, which is hilarious. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. You know, before we, before we really get going today, I want to tell you about Charity Mobile. And this is going to something to keep in mind uh, in what we're going to talk about in the opening here, because it really ties back into it uh, when we've got all these woke companies out there that we all complain about all the time, and for good reason. But why complain about those companies? Or if you're going to complain about those companies, then you really should be supporting the companies that support you. You know, show show your support with your money, and Charity Mobile is one of those companies. Uh, They are the pro-life phone company. 5% of your monthly plan price goes to the pro-life, pro-family charity of your choice. Uh, And this is all about helping to build a culture of life in America while supporting a pro-life phone company. There aren't a lot of pro-life phone companies out there. I think, think, in fact, this is the only one. So um, this is the place where you you should be spending your money with a phone. 5% of your monthly plan price, again, goes to the pro-life charity of your choice. But also there are a lot of other perks as well. New activations and eligible accounts get a free cell phone with free activation and free shipping. There's no contracts. There's no termination fees. There's also no risk to you with a 30-day guarantee. And if you have any trouble at all, any problems, then it's great that they've got live customer service based right in the USA, based right here in the USA, which means also more American jobs that they're providing. Um, and uh, there's parental c- controls too. You can restrict cellular data, picture messages, and text messages on any and all of your accounts. So if you want to take advantage of this great service, you can call them at 1-877-474-3662 or chat with them online at charitymobile.com. You may have noticed that we live in a country, a culture, where almost everyone wants to fashion themselves as heroes and fighters for truth and justice, and yet their form of fighting seems usually to require little effort, and it always amounts to nothing in the end. This is one of the reasons why I'm not worried about a civil war breaking out anytime soon. Many people seem to be worried about this, and we hear, oh, there's going to be a civil war, we're headed towards a civil war. Yes, we are more divided than we've been since... 1860, I think. Um, You could make an argument that we're even more divided than we were then uh, in in the lead up to the Civil War on a more fundamental level. But there will be no Civil War because fighting a Civil War requires us to leave our homes and put down our video game controllers and maybe even skip a meal or two. This is more commitment than we're willing to invest in the enterprise. So instead, our society will come apart more slowly, decaying like an old Halloween pumpkin left out in the sun rather than exploding all at once like fireworks. So that's the good news. The perfect mascots for this modern form of lazy bravery are, of course, the Texas Democrats who fled the state in order to uh, temporarily avoid voting on some legislation they disagree with. But in the midst of their boozy vacation in D.C., at least six of the absconded legislators have tested positive for COVID now. What was initially political theater and an excuse for them to abandon their kids and their loveless marriages for a month 
has now turned into a super spreader event, which is what I think they call it, right? You could argue that they're biological terrorists at this point and should be charged as such and thrown in federal prison. You could argue that, at least. But even as they drink Miller Lite, take selfies, and spread their viral loads all over our nation's capital like so much confetti, they still wish to be hailed for their bravery. And they're quite explicit about this. Here's a tweet yesterday from Representative Michelle Beckley. She says, my name is Michelle Beckley. I'm one of the brave Texas Democrats who came to D.C. to fight for voting rights in my state. Now I'm fighting to flip a seat, a seat held by an anti-democracy Republican. I have 28,500. Can you help us get to 50,000 followers? Not only is she begging for followers, which is lame enough, but she also calls herself brave. Perhaps the number one way that you can identify a person who is not brave is if they have to tell you that they are. Hi, nice to meet you. Um, I am extremely brave. Yes, deeply courageous and heroic. No, please don't shake my hand. I'm afraid of COVID. We can fist bump. But we're accustomed to this kind of performative virtue signaling from our politicians, especially from Democrats. After all, Democrats were the ones who put on traditional African garb a few months ago and knelt in silence in the U.S. Capitol in order to pay their respects to Blessed Floyd, patron saint of armed robbers. Beckley's tweet was, was nothing compared to that as far as theater goes um, and virtue signaling goes. And it's, but it's not just politicians who do this. We citizens are guilty ourselves, especially when it comes to the big corporations that most of us pretend to despise. Let's take the events of yesterday, for example. As we covered on the show, Jeff Bezos launched himself into space on a, on a rocket ship that he built with his own money. Um, he returned to Earth a short time later, much to the chagrin of many people on social media who were actively and vocally hoping that he'd make it out of Earth orbit and float off into a black hole or something. The whole spectacle served as an occasion for many people to once again voice their hatred for Bezos and, 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 and for Amazon and to lament the fact that he has enough money to build rocket ships in the first place. Now, as I said yesterday, I, I personally think that it's a great thing for these obscenely wealthy billionaires to spend their money on this. That's my hot take. That's my controversial position. It is good for billionaires to be building rocket ships. If it's a choice between building space technology or, you know, a 19-bedroom mansion for their poodles, I'll take the space technology. In fact, I wish Bezos had, had gotten back to Earth and immediately started building another rocket rather than do what he actually did, which was to immediately announce that he was giving $100 million to Van Jones. Why give $100 million to Van Jones? Maybe the lack of oxygen in space caused brain damage, and that's why he's doing it. Or maybe the left hates Bezos even as he tries to buy them off. He is, in the end, a woke leftist himself, like nearly all of the other tech oligarchs in his orbit, literally and figuratively in his orbit now. That doesn't stop most leftists from hating him and his company, just as many on the right um, hate him as well. The message seems to be that Bezos and Amazon shouldn't have all this money. It's not fair. It's not right. It's bad. How do you get all this money anyway? It must be a policy failure, right? Yes, yeah, so billionaires are a policy failure, we're told by Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Yes, government policy caused this. We need better policies. That's what made all this happen. 
Okay, it could be that. Or it could be this. Headline from MarketWatch.com says Amazon Prime member total reaches 142 million in the U.S. with more shoppers opting in for a full year, data shows. Interestingly enough, even as most people seem to hate Amazon and wish that it didn't have all this money to throw around, most people are also choosing to pay the company a monthly subscription fee. In fact, two-thirds of American adults are Amazon Prime members, which is an insane figure. And those are just the members of the service. That doesn't count all the people who aren't members and yet still order from Amazon. I wonder if a single person complaining about Amazon and Bezos actually isn't one of their retail customers. Maybe there are a few, but there can't be many. So how did he get all that money? Um, Well, I don't know how to tell you this, but you gave it to him. That's how he got it. He actually said this himself when he got back to Earth. Let's play that clip. I also I want to thank uh, every Amazon employee and every Amazon customer because you guys paid for all of this. <laughs> so seriously, for every Amazon customer out there and every Amazon employee, thank you from the bottom of my heart very much. Now, like, people were very upset about that. Um, and it does come off as sort of uh, sarcastic and rubbing it in everybody's face. But it's true, though. That is actually true. We, as, as Amazon customers, you paid for it. Now, we should acknowledge a few things. First, Amazon was given a huge boost by the government this past year. Talk about policy failures. When many other, when many other stores were arbitrarily shut down for reasons that could never be scientifically or morally justified. But this just adds to the contradiction, as most of the leftist Amazon haters were advocates for those very policies. And they accused you of uh, wanting to kill their grandmothers if you suggested that, hey, you know, maybe we shouldn't just allow Amazon and Walmart and Target to be the ones uh, serving customers. And at any rate, Amazon had over 100 million subscribers a year before the lockdowns even started. I doubt there were very very many people who ordered from Amazon for the first time ever during the lockdowns. Maybe a few, but probably not many. The lockdowns gave Amazon an enormously unfair advantage. But they didn't turn Amazon into the ubiquitous force it is today, obviously. Also, we should note that Amazon makes money other ways through other services, like it's Amazon Web Services, for instance. But memberships and retail sales account for the lion's share of its revenue. And that is revenue people choose to give to it. All kinds of excuses can be offered to get around this. I've heard them all. People profess to hate the company and think that it shouldn't have all this money and yet choose themselves to give it their own money, they can try to rationalize it all they want. They can claim Amazon is effectively a monopoly in the online sales space. They can say that Amazon offers services other companies don't. They can say that uh, they'd have to pay more or wait longer to buy stuff another way. None of this gets around the the fact, or rather around the choice that they're making and do not have to make. Nobody needs Amazon. Amazon is not a necessity. Indeed, you could never order another thing from Amazon ever again. And that sacrifice would have almost no material impact on your life when all is said and done. It would require from you only the smallest of efforts, only the most minimal of investments. It would create only the most minor of inconveniences. And yet that's more than most people are willing to give. 
They would prefer to continue actively funding this company while complaining that the company should not have the money that they are choosing to give to it. Maybe they really do oppose some of Amazon's business practices, the way it treats its workers, the favors it gets from the government, and so on. And they should, they should hate those things. But they like convenient next-day delivery more than they hate those things, and that's the issue. The other thing I've heard, talking about rationalizations, as I was talking about this on, on Twitter, I, I heard over and over again this, this same line, and it comes from a meme that you've probably seen. But uh, the line is, well, well hey, yeah, uh, just because I'm a critic of, of capitalism or, or Amazon, uh, that doesn't mean that I, that, I, that I can't participate in society. Of course, I have to participate in society. That phrase, participating in society. Well, yeah, you're going to participate in society, but are you telling me that you, you need to use Amazon in order to participate in society? You cannot participate in society without being an Amazon Prime member? Is that really what you're telling me? None of what I'm saying amounts to a defense of Amazon, and certainly not of Jeff Bezos. I'm also not claiming to be innocent of the charge that I'm leveling at others. I am guilty of choosing to fund companies that I detest and doing it simply for the sake of convenience and maybe to save a buck or two. I've drawn certain lines, and I've tried to avoid drawing others. This is uh, the game we all play. We are consumers. So conditioned in our consumerism that so many of us would actually claim, as people have claimed to me, that ordering junk from Amazon is a need, like water and shelter are needs. But it's not a need. It's a want. And we are very bad at distinguishing between the two. And that ultimately, I think, is the problem. Now let's get to our five headlines. I think there are many things you could do as an American to celebrate and uh, show how much you appreciate your, your freedom as an American. One of those things, though, is grow a thick, manly beard. I don't mean to exclude women when I say this. And this goes for women, too. I mean, you could also grow... Anyone can. Anyone can try, anyway, to grow that thick beard. If you're one of the, the men that are currently growing or are already have a manly beard, chances are you're in need of products to keep it looking thick and healthy. And if so, uh, you got to visit beardsupply.com because for a limited time, you can buy one beard oil product and get another one for free. This is a great deal on an already affordable, top quality product. There, there are tons of different beard oils and everything out there. It can get kind of overwhelming if you go to the store and uh, they're not all made equal. Trust me. Okay. This is what this is. I don't know a lot, but I, I know about beards and beard oil. Uh, beard Supply, they make a top quality product. So go visit our friends over at beardsupply.com today and order yourself two beard oils for the price of one. You can mix and match different scents or stock up on old classics. Uh, whatever you choose, make sure you choose Beard Supply. For a limited time, make sure you go to beardsupply.com and buy one beard oil and get another one for free. Um, all right. You know, first of all, uh, you guys know that I, I don't like to air my dirty laundry on this show. It's too dark and cold in the studio anyway, so we get mildew. mildew. Um, that was a dad joke. I apologize for that. Anyway, the point is, um, I don't like to talk about my personal problems, except when I talk about them all the time. But I do have to say, I'm, I'm, some, I'm disturbed by my wife's bigotry towards me as a disabled American, um, especially when she publicizes it, as she often does on Twitter. And this is what she tweeted last night when I, I was sitting right across the, the room from her, by the way, a couple nights ago. She tweeted this. 
Um, I'm concerned about Matt Walsh's outfit tomorrow. He said, well, she, she tagged my user. She wasn't calling me by my full name. That would be weird. I'm concerned about uh, Matt's outfit tomorrow. He said, what's, what's wrong with red pants and a green top? Well, one, that combo would make him look like an elf. And two, he's colorblind and the pants are brown and the polo is a lighter green, making him look like Peter Pan or a tree. Now, first of all, to clarify, the only reason we were talking about my outfit is that I, I asked her to iron my clothes for me. And the only reason I asked her to do that is because I'm bad at ironing. And I've explained there are a lot of household chores I'm, I'm just not good at. And I need other people to do them for me. Um, but then she starts mocking my choices, calling me a tree and Peter Pan and everything. When, in fact, I really am colorblind. And this is, a, this is an important point I want you all to know. I am actually colorblind. Um, in fact, I am, I am a member of the, the color vision deficiency community. That's the, that, is, that is the real thing we're going by now, CVD, color vision deficiency. And this is a real victim group that I belong to. I am an actual victim. I suffer from a, a, a disability, which means that it's hate speech to be, criti- to be mocking me for it. And, and also, I, I, I cling to this identity jealously. It's the only victim group I have as a, as a, as a white male. None others are recognized in the mainstream culture, but this one I have. And I want all of you to know that. Before you think about criticizing me at all, realize I am a victim. I am colorblind. I have no idea. So, and, and that's another thing. I am, I am often mocked on my own show by my own audience for the things that I choose to wear on this show. Maybe you'll mock me. I don't know what color this is. I don't know, even know what I'm wearing right now. But before you start criticizing me, just know I have no idea. This is, this is part of my disability. All right. Uh, we'll start with this. The Daily Mail actually was uh, BuzzFeed originally. BuzzFeed doing some real reporting, which they, they, they've, they've done a little bit of that recently. And I don't know if I, I, I don't want to get ahead of my, get over my skis here, but, but it seems like they, they're kind of dipping their toes in real reporting. And so they're doing some real reporting here. Um, and it's uh, information about that supposed right-wing plot to, cup, to kidnap Governor Whitmer of Michigan. You, you may remember that. And this was Governor uh, Whitmer was, was, was one of the, the primary, one of the worst, most oppressive, pettiest, most arbitrary tyrants. During the COVID lockdowns, she went insane with power couldn't handle. She, she thought originally she was just going to be governor of Michigan. That'd be enough power. But then she was given the powers of an empress and, um, a, 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 you know, a, a dictator and she couldn't handle it. Having that much power. She fell in love with it. Speaking of clinging desperately to things, clinging desperately to that power and getting, getting a lot of uh, pushback for that had become pretty unpopular. And then in the midst of that, we find out that uh, there were these dastardly right-wingers who were planning to kidnap her. Um, and, and, and then, and then it, that kind of made it so, okay, well, now you're not allowed to criticize her anymore. Because all of this criticism, like I just was, calling her a dictator. Well, now you're, you're feed, it's this hate speech and you're encouraging violence. Look at what you've done. That's the kind of the way this was, this was a spun. But now this, and I'm reading from uh, the Daily Mail, says the FBI has been accused of encouraging and, ins- and assisting a Michigan militia 
with their alleged plot to kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitmer, with court documents showing the remarkable depth of involvement of multiple informants. Okay, so listen to this. 14 people have been charged so far after an October 2020 sting operation on the Wolverine Watchmen militia. Many of those were arrested at a warehouse in Michigan where they had met uh, to hand over cash for the purchase of explosives, which they allege, allegedly planned to use in the kidnapping plot. In December, one key player in the case, Ty Garbin, entered a guilty plea to kidnap conspiracy charges and faces up to life in prison. A trial date for the rest has been set for October 12th. But their lawyers are arguing that the FBI informants, at least 12 of them, according to a BuzzFeed investigation, went way beyond simply listening and infiltrating and instead actively recruited others to the plot, funded and directed it. They have claimed that without the FBI informants' involvement, there would have been no plot at all. Okay, so 14 people, if I'm, if I'm getting my numbers right here, if, I, if I'm reading this correctly, 14 people have so, so far been charged um, as being involved in this scheme. 12 people were FBI informants the whole time. And it makes you wonder, it, as, as more and more of this comes out, is, were any of them not FBI informants? Was it just like one, maybe this, this Ty Garbin guy, was he the only, was it one guy? Was it 13 FBI informants ganging up to just get this one guy? I don't know. And it's, it's not as though, based on the claim here, allegedly, based on this report from BuzzFeed, it would seem that, um, that it, it's, it's not as though they had come up with this plot and the FBI got wind of it and then they sent in some informants to try to stop it. The informants, again, according to the BuzzFeed investigation, the informants themselves were the ones who recruited people into it, funded it, directed it. So what? It was their plot. What I'm getting from this is that this kidnapping plot was the FBI's plot. They are the ones who, who, who organized it, put it all together, and then they stopped it. So I guess in the end, we should, uh, we should congratulate the FBI and thank the FBI for putting a stop to the dastardly plot that they came up with. Kind of easy to stop a, a plot that is your own plot. But I'm, but I'm grateful that they did stop it. True heroes in the FBI, once again. And it makes you wonder, too. And we, we know this is something that the FBI does. Um, not just sending people in undercover, not just having informants, but towing the line of entrapment or, or outright committing outright entrapment, which is what this seems to be. We know the FBI has a habit of that. Um, historically, uh, you start to wonder about the events of January 6th. Are we going to find, we're, we're find out similar, there are going to be similar revelations a year from now or so about what happened on January 6th? the ringleaders of that, the people who put all that together? I guess we'll see. Or maybe we never will see. Next, a report from Reuters. Um, this is kind of some real journalism also. So big, I'm, I'm, I continue to be shocked. Uh, this is a, maybe a good day for mainstream journalists. They don't have very many, but here's one. Uh, some Reuters reports, 
U.S. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez became one of America's most prominent progressive Democrats with her calls to tax the wealthy and spend heavily to fight climate change. Now she is investing heavily in her online store, selling t-shirts, sweatshirts, and other merchandise with her name, AOC initials, or slogans including tax the rich and fight for our future. Efforts aimed at both fundraising and building the second-term lawmaker's profile nationally. Uh, her campaign paid political merchandise firm Financial Innovations, which operates her online store and supplies merchandise, more than $1.4 million in the first six months of 2021, according to campaign disclosures to the uh, FEC late last week. That's more than many lawmakers spent on their entire re-election effort during that period and nearly double her payments made over the prior two years to Financial Innovations, um, a Cranston, Rhode Island firm that specializes in political merchandise for Democrats. Political t-shirts and campaign swag were once again... Uh, uh, okay, so I think we get the idea there. She's spending $1.5 million investing in merchandise that she's then, then going to sell, including merchandise that ironically says tax the rich. Now, Sean Spicer pointed this out, former White House spokesman, now a Newsmax host, host, pointed this out on Twitter, and AOC responded, it pointed out the, the hypocrisy here, that you're a critic of capitalism, you're a socialist, avowedly so, and here you are engaging in capitalism. What do you know? Turns out you actually like making money. You just don't like it when other people make it. You want to be the one who makes it. AOC responded to the criticism, though, and said, not sure if you know this, Sean, but transactions aren't capitalism. Capitalism is a system that prioritizes profit at any and all human slash environmental cost. But for what it's worth, our shop is unionized, doesn't operate for profit, and funds projects like free tutoring, food programs, and local organizing. Okay, so, so, so that's what it is. Yeah, I, I would have thought that if you're in, in the free market making a transaction with somebody else, offering them a good or service in exchange for money, that's a transaction. I would have thought, no, that's exactly what capitalism is, actually. That's, at the most basic level, that's free market capitalism. I have a good, good or service. I offer it to you. You choose to buy it with your own money. I take your money. I have it now. That, I'm no economist, but when I think of, of uh, at the most basic level, what a free market capitalism is, that's, that's what it is. But she says, no, 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 no. Not, so you can do that and it's not capitalism because capitalism uh, is a system sort of like that, but it prioritizes profit at any and all human and environmental cost. So she's saying, I am, I am making a profit, but, it, but it's, it's, I'm not prioritizing that over everything else. It's only if you prioritize it over everything else that it counts as capitalism. Which is just a long way of saying, it all goes back to, um, I can do this, but I don't think other people should. I can trust myself with money. My own money, your money. Which I should be given, whether it's because you're buying a t-shirt or I just take it from you. I'm a good person. I can be trusted with money, not the rest of you, because you're bad people. Uh, next, number three here. Page six reports that Prince Harry is writing a, an explosive memoir about his life and uh, the royal family. Uh, so he's got another, he's got, is this, I guess this is, maybe this is his first memoir that he's written. And this, this is so sad. You know, he's writing this, this big memoir. He's got a big book deal. He's, got a, he's going to have a, the book coming out, talking about his life, talking about the expose about the royal family. 
Um, he's going to be doing the book tour, doing more and more interviews. And it is so, so sad. Um, because this poor man and his wife, they just want privacy. That's all they want. Will you people leave them alone and let them have their private life? Please. That's all they want. That's why he's putting the book out and he does the Oprah interview and they got the Netflix deal. This, this is their way of, of living a private life. And you should respect that. I guess by not buying the book, that's maybe the best thing you can do. I think that's the best thing you could do in general. Why would you want this damn book? Why would you want to read it? But uh, I, I think out of, out of pure respect for the wishes that have been repeatedly articulated by Prince Harry and Meghan in many, in many, many interviews um, for privacy and to be left alone, out of respect for that, you should not buy any of the, these books, not watch any of these stupid interviews, um, not watch any show that they produce. Because it's what they want. I guess they want, what they want is, the, is, is, is they want to write the books and not have anyone read it. They want to do the Netflix show and not have anyone watch it. They want to do the Oprah interviews and not have anyone watch that either or hear about it. And I, for one, will respect their wishes on that front. And I hope you'll do the same. Uh, we also got to play this. Rand Paul and Dr. Fauci were, uh, had another, had another, sparring match, and these are always fun to watch. It's fun to watch Fauci. This is the only time, and it's why he gets so upset when this happens, it's, it's the only time when Fauci is backed into a corner, forced to answer real questions, held accountable. It's the only time, because everywhere else he goes, people are worshiping the ground he walks on. He does the CNN interviews, he does, he, CNN interviews, he does the MSNBC interviews, and they are head over heels in love with him, practically making out with him on screen, um, and uh, the one time where that doesn't happen is when he's facing Congress, and only because Rand Paul is there. If it wasn't for Rand Paul, you know, th- th- these would also be makeout sessions. But uh, let's let's watch how this went. If the point that you are making is that the ve- the, the grant that was funded as a sub award from EcoHealth to Wuhan created SARS-CoV-2. That's where you are getting. Let me finish. We don't know. Well, we don't wait know a minute. It didn't I come can, from the lab, but you, all the evidence is pointing that it came from the lab, you, and there will be responsibility for those who funded the right. lab, including yourself. I totally This committee resent, will allow the witness to respond. I totally resent the lie that you are now propagating, Senator, because if you look at the viruses that were used in the experiments that were given in the annual reports that were published in the literature, it is molecularly impossible. No one's saying those it, viruses it is, caused it. It no is molecularly. Those viruses caused the pandemic. What we're alleging is that gain of function research was going on in that lab and NIH funded it. That you is can't not. Get away from it. It meets your definition and you are obfuscating the truth. And you are implying that what we did was responsible for the deaths of individual. I totally resent that. And if anybody is lying here, Senator, it is you. I resent that. I resent it. 
what he's saying is is he is lying. That Fauci, that is. This is this all goes back to the issue of did the NIH fund gain a function research in Wuhan, and uh, and it did, and that's a fact, and it did. Um, and Fauci totally resents that he's being asked about this, that he's being held to account for it. Totally resents it. Now, when this is a big scandal, this is like a big deal. They're funding this kind of research in this lab, which was almost certainly the the origin of this uh, global pandemic that killed so many people. But he doesn't, he shouldn't have to talk about it. And he knows you got to almost feel for the guy, I guess that yeah, he, everywhere else he goes, everyone is, uh, is, is bowing down before him. And it's this one guy who won't do that. Rand Paul, I guess you don't have to feel for him at all. Um, Rand Paul though, a lot of credit to Rand Paul. I mean, if Rand Paul wasn't there, he's, he's, he's seriously, he's the, he's the one lawmaker holding Fauci accountable to his face. All right. Uh, I've had this story for a few days now. I keep meaning to mention it because it's so important. It's from the Daily Wire. It says, after being called out for her inconsistent Spanish accent and apparently misleading the public about her Spanish heritage, Hilaria, or Hillary more accurately, Baldwin now says she identifies as culturally fluid, seemingly arguing that she could be culturally fluid if others could be sexually religious and politically fluid too. She posted to Instagram recently, when you are multi, it can feel very hard to belong. You're constantly going back and forth, trying to be more this or more that. You feel you have to explain why you are the way you are, trying to fit into a world of labels where there might not be one that perfectly defines you. You will never quite fit in because other parts of you shape and influence all of your parts. We need to normalize the fact that we are all unique. Our language, culture, sexual orientations, religions, political beliefs are allowed to be fluid. No two of us are completely alike. And uh, this is not good enough for lots of people, especially on the left, who are kind of mocking this idea of being culturally fluid. When, of course, if anything can be fluid, that actually makes some kind of sense. There, there certainly it doesn't make some kind of sense. It makes sense. Uh, there is a fluidity to culture. There's no denying that. Cultures change over time. Um, our culture has changed quite a bit, and not for the better. Cultures change over time. They influence each other. Uh, one culture kind of bleeds into another. They blend. They mix. If the word fluid has any meaning outside of outside of the, the physical sense of, of liquid fluid, um, then this would have to apply. Cultures are fluid. They're not immutable. They don't, they don't stay the same forever. They're not inherent. Um, they're human constructs. All of that is true of culture. Now, and I, I don't mean that to suggest that, uh, that, that you know, we shouldn't want to protect our culture and defend it and try to make it a certain thing and protect it from other kinds of influences. But I'm just talking about the nature of, of culture as opposed to uh, your sex, 
which is not fluid at all, which is inherent, which is not a, which is not a human construct, which you don't determine, which does not blend with anything else. It's just you are what you are. So in our own extremely stupid culture, the one thing that is fluid, you're not allowed to say is fluid. And then all these other things, of course, those are the things we're going to pretend are fluid. Speaking of which, um, here's, a, here's a video I want to play for you before we get to reading the YouTube comments. You know my, my famous question that I'm asking you all the time related to what we were just talking about, uh, which is, what is a woman? And for years I've been asking that question, have never received an answer to it. Well, what we'll play for you now is, is not an answer. It, it's a non-answer. But at least she knows that she's giving a non-answer. And so I feel like there's a little bit of progress just based on that alone. Let's listen. Okay, can someone help me out with this? Because I'm confused. I am a woman. I identify as a woman. I feel comfortable in being a woman. But like, what the f- a woman? Like, if someone asked me, what does being a woman mean to you? I, I wouldn't have an answer. Don't even try to tell me that, well, being a woman is being empathetic and kind and compassionate because that could be anybody. Anybody could be those things. Don't even bother being transphobic in my comments saying that, oh, well, being a woman is having a uterus and having kids because no, uh, no. Don't even bother saying that being a woman means having biddies and having a vagine because no. Also, no, wrong. So I'll ask the question again. What is a woman? Like, I feel so comfortable identifying as a woman, but is that only because that's just what I've always been? That's what people always told me that I was, so I just went with it. And the thing that's frustrating with this question is that everyone's answer is always, well, it depends on the person. And I get that, I know, but I'm trying to figure it out for myself. And I don't know. And I mean, I'm a gender abolitionist, so like abolish gender, you know? But some people feel very validated in their labels and in their gender. So I'm strictly speaking for myself. I don't know what being a woman means to me. Anyone else? Uh, yeah. Well, that's the question, isn't it? What the f is a woman? As she as she phrases, not how I phrase it, but that's how that's how she phrases it. Can anyone answer the question? Well, I can. A woman is an adult human female. I have no trouble answering it. But she, at least, she has no answer. But she's one of the only people that I've seen so far that will acknowledge that they don't have an answer and that this is a problem. So she, she knows that at least. Is, maybe that, if I want to be optimistic, maybe that'll plant a, a seed in her head. It's like, at least you're thinking about it. And that's step one. And that's, that's, that's more of a step than lots of people are willing to take in general. Not, not, most people aren't willing to think of, about anything, really. But she realizes there's a problem here. She says, I'm a woman. Uh, I know who and what I am. And yet I have this ideology and my, and my, and my politics, which would say that, uh, that my womanhood has nothing to do with my body. It also has nothing to do with any of my preferences or personality traits. Because if you say that being a woman is determined by my body, that's transphobic. Don't be transphobic. But if you say that it all has to do with being feminine and being, uh, and, you know, acting in a quote-unquote womanly way, well, that's anti-feminist, and we can't be anti-feminist. So we're left with no, no definition at all. This is a big problem. She realizes that. It's a big problem. She's saying that I that I'm a I'm a woman, but I don't even I can't tell I don't know what that is. You're right. It is a problem. 
And I have to tell you something, young lady. Uh, there, there, is, there is no way around it if you're insisting on clinging on to your self-contradictory, delusional, ideological, and political beliefs, which are really more like religious beliefs. As long as you hang on to that doctrine, there is, there's no way around this conflict. You're going to be doomed to live this life with an identity that you can't define, with an identity that, that, that according to you, doesn't exist. No way around it. The only way is to let go of that doctrine, which you can let go of, and it's, it's freedom. Because rather than having all of these uh, different contradictory balls that you're trying to juggle in the air, an unfortunate metaphor there for a number of reasons, but still, rather than trying to juggle all of these, these balls, what you can do is you can drop them. <laughs> this, is, this is getting more and more unfortunate as we talk about it. Uh, but you can, you can drop them and say, I, I, don't, I don't need to do this. I don't need to make this work with that. How do I be uh, you know, feminist but also not transform? Forget about that. You can embrace who you are. You're a woman. At, at, and at, when it comes down to it deep down, I think you, you, you actually do know what that means. Because you know who you are. And that's a good thing. Let go of the delusion. Let go of the doctrine. Let go of those balls and just be who you are. All right. Read the YouTube comments now, uh, and as we do, if you're wondering what reading through, uh, if you're watching through the bicep cam, that is, uh, our little astronaut here is wearing the Sweet Baby Gang t-shirt. So we got one for the miniature astronaut. We don't have one yet for you, although the uh, Sweet Baby Gang petition is now up to 1,200, 1,219. So over 1,200 signatures, we got, you know, almost, we got 281 to go before the next threshold. That's when we'll be at 1,500 signatures on the change.org petition to get these Sweet Baby Gang t-shirts on sale. I don't know what's supposed to happen at 1,500, but let's get there anyway in this grassroots movement. All right. Um, username Mostly Peaceful says, talking about my opening monologue yesterday, this was impressively stupid. This country has thousands of immoral and tyrannical laws. This is what counts as conservative these days. Someone who thinks the government should force us to do what they think is moral sounds like a leftist. Well, mostly peaceful. It sounds like you, uh, speaking of stupid, it, it sounds like you were not paying attention to anything I said. You, you were paying attention enough to pick up on a few words and phrases here and there. But my basic argument, you completely missed somehow which I don't know how you manage to miss an argument that I make because I repeat myself so much. I'm sure you've noticed. Because I want it to be understood. I'll keep repeating it and repeating it. My, when I talk about how all laws are moral laws, every law that's ever been written is a moral law. You cannot have a law that is not a moral law. Or at least to try to imagine a, 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 a non-moral law is is an absurdity. It would be it would be what you would end up with is a totally arbitrary law that has no reason to exist. So maybe you can imagine one, but you but uh, it, you, you certainly wouldn't want a law like that to actually be passed. Um, but when I say that all laws are moral laws, it doesn't mean that they're the correct morals. It doesn't mean I agree 
Okay, you can make a moral argument for something. Somebody can make a moral argument, like I said yesterday. Somebody can make a moral argument for, for abortion. You can make a moral argument for abortion. That doesn't mean it's a good argument. And it, it's not a good argument. But all, it me, all that means is that you are using, you're trying to use morals. You're, you're, you're using a moral appeal. You're appealing to our moral sense in order to advocate for abortion in that case. To acknowledge that that's what you're doing is not to agree with the argument you're making. And so every law at base is, is a moral law. It doesn't mean they're good. Yes, oftentimes they're tyrannical, they're immoral, they're evil. But still, there is a moral argument at the bottom. And the, whoever introduced that law, advocated it, legislated it, imposed it, whatever, whatever person or group is responsible for that law, it's guaranteed that they were making a moral argument to justify it. Might have been a bad argument, might have been a horrific argument, but it was a moral argument. Is that is that enough? It, it, that seems to me, in my own ears, to be uh, understandable and coherent. So hopefully now you get what I was saying. Uh, resident Wiseacre says, 25 years ago, someone who spent all day in the library was called a scholar. Today, they're called homeless. Well, that is, that is I, I suppose, a correct observation, which is a shame. Now, I used to be a big fan of libraries, but the other thing is that libraries are, everything is, it's, it sounds silly to even say what I'm going to say, but I have to, libraries are politicized. Everything is politicized. Now, libraries too, where they're bringing in, you know, drag queen story hours and everything. Um, Abby Taylor says, if Matt reads this comment on the show, I'll pre-order Ben's book. And in my question, I'll ask if Matt can sign it instead of Ben and address it to the sweet baby gang. Well, I read your comment, so get to work. This is a win-win for everybody. I help sell another copy of Ben's book. And uh, maybe he promotes the sweet baby gang. I, I, I doubt that that will happen, but Let's give it a shot. It's worth a shot. Um, Bob says, wow, Matt, any more obvious? You're trying to get a ticket for Bezos's next trip, maybe on his lap. Aha, ban me. I'll just keep watching. Uh, well, you are banned, of course, but no, I, I, that's actually the last thing I would want. I, I don't want to get in the rocket ship. I'm fascinated by space, by the idea of it. Uh, as I've been saying, I, I, I love the idea of people building rocket ships and going up into space. I think all oh, that's great. I don't want to do it. I would be way too terrified to actually do it. I don't like getting on an airplane, you know, and flying from Nashville to Baltimore, right, on a two-hour plane trip. So going 50 miles in the sky or higher is not uh, not my cup of tea. Although that's that's not as bad. I, I read a story yesterday as we're – all these different companies are getting in – trying to get into the burgeoning space tourism industry – which, of course, burgeoning among multimillionaires and billionaires, the only ones who can afford it right now. But there's one company, they're looking at, at, uh, at doing these space trips in a space balloon, which is like a, a, a massive, high-tech, hot air balloon the size of a football field, and you would drift up into space on one of those. That, to me, is it, that fills me with so much existential dread to even think of doing something like that. So, no thank you. But I'm glad people are doing it. Just like I'm, I'm not going to be on the trip, getting on a, on a, 
on a ship to go to Mars. But I like the idea of people doing that. Especially certain people. If I could select the people and send them to Mars, it'd be even better. I got a lot of people in mind who I would like to send. Um, And AOC Zabuelo says, let there be a competition for the best Sweet Baby Gang song. I think that's an excellent idea. Make your own Sweet Baby Gang song, post it to YouTube, and uh, I'll play them on the show. Let's, and if you can, if you do, and you already know, if you do one with a banjo, you get, you get extra credit. You know, while some people see NPR's latest smear campaign that's been waged against the Daily Wire as an attempt at bringing the thought police to our doorstep, doorstep I, I think there's another way you could look at it as well. The entire article talks about our success as a news organization and was published the same day that we dropped our newest podcast, Morning Wire, which is already ranked at the top of the Apple charts and steadily climbing even higher. Uh, because our listeners know Morning Wire is the morning podcast that values their time and the truth. Brought to you by Daily Wire Editor-in-Chief John Bickley and co-host Georgia Howe. Morning Wire will wake you up with the latest developments in politics, sports, culture, and education, all with a heavy emphasis on the facts because that's what you need when it comes to, when it comes to the news. What, what, what you probably really want most of all, just tell me the facts. It's available now, so subscribe to Morning Wire on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a beat. You also don't want to miss Ben Shapiro's new book. When it comes to freedom, America is the world's last hope with lockdown protests getting increasingly violent in London, citizens and business owners facing prison time for disobeying vaccine passport laws in France. It's become increasingly clear that we have to fight to keep the last free country actually free. And that means standing up to the Biden administration's new call for censorship across all platforms, um, or as they're calling it, misinformation. It perfectly illustrates what Ben Shapiro predicted in his newest book, The Authoritarian Moment, which is hitting bookshelves next Tuesday, July 27th. You don't want to miss out on this. You also don't want to miss when Ben will be doing a live stream book signing event next Tuesday, the 27th. So pre-order your signed copy now. And when you do, you'll be asked to uh, type in a question at checkout, then catch Tuesday's live signing to see if he answers your question and watch him sign your book. Go get a copy now at dailywire.com slash Ben. And let's get to our daily cancellation. Today for our daily cancellation, we begin with some good news for a change. The Philadelphia Inquirer has the story. It says the U.S. women's soccer team opened the Olympics in disastrous fashion, losing 3-0 to longtime rival Sweden. It was the program's worst defeat at a major tournament since 2007, and manager Vlatko Andonovsky's first loss since taking the helm in October 2019. And it was no fluke. It was an honest-to-goodness beating. For all the talk of the U.S. being the tournament's heavy favorite, Sweden was on the front foot from the start and rarely let up. I don't really know what that means. They outshot the Americans by 16 to 13 in the game, including by 10 to 3 in the first half. An American team loaded with past medals, but also the oldest squad in this tournament, looked the latter more than the former. Now, from what I'm hearing, this is, was almost as embarrassing as the time when they lost to a bunch of adolescent boys. It's, almost, it's also almost as hilarious and wonderful, but not quite. I'm not ashamed to tell you that I am actively rooting against U.S. women's soccer. I want them to lose. I want them to be embarrassed badly on the global stage because they have so thoroughly and intentionally embarrassed us. The Daily Mail reports, quote, the U.S. and and Team GB women's football teams were among those who took the knee, took the knee ahead of their opening matches in the Olympics today. All 22 players took part in the gesture prior to kickoff between four-time Olympics champion the U.S. and Sweden in Tokyo. An hour after Team GB and Chile did likewise in Sapporo. 
The uh, IOC recently relaxed the rules for protests at the game, softening a longstanding ban on political protests at the global sporting event. Athletes will now be allowed to take a knee before play begins to highlight racial injustice, speak to the media and post online about their views, or wear clothing with a protest slogan at a press conference. So U.S. women's soccer took the knee. As always, none of them can explain why they're kneeling. None of these people have ever been able to offer any cogent explanation as to what exactly they're protesting. And that's because they aren't protesting any particular thing, so much as expressing a general disdain for their country. And this stunt comes as no surprise either. These are the same ladies who wore BLM shirts while also taking a knee during the anthem uh, before a game last year. Led by political activist Megan Rapinoe, uh, they have consistently put their politics front and center and declined to display patriotism in favor, in favor of this sort of woke virtue signaling, all while repeatedly declaring their allegiance with an organization, BLM, that is among the most destructive, evil, and depraved to exist in this country in modern history. These women are not interested in representing the United States. They want to represent their own ideological interests. They, they've shown no pride in their country, no allegiance to it. And so I have no pride in them. I want them to lose. That's what they deserve. It's true, of course, that the other women from the other teams knelt also. Um, one set of kneelers losing just means another set wins, unfortunately. But those other women are not supposed to be representing our country. It's not our country that they make a mockery of. If some morons from Sweden want to kneel, that's Sweden's concern. If morons from the U.S. kneel, it's ours. This is where we are now, and it's not where I want to be. Even though I'm only vaguely interested in the Olympics and I'm not at all interested in soccer... I still want to root for our teams and our players, but if you won't stand and show pride in your country, if patriotism is too much to ask for, if this country has blessed you beyond measure and still you put your allegiance to violent Marxist organizations like BLM over your allegiance to the flag, then I am ashamed to share a country with you. And I don't think you deserve to represent us in front of the globe. You know, there's a lot of gaslighting that's gone on with this issue, of course. Those of us who feel this way about it, those of us who are sick to death of the political statements, the kneeling and so on, we're accused of being the ones to politicize sports. And if we celebrate the defeat of athletes who carry on this way, we're accused of being disloyal. But we're not the ones who chose to make sports into an ideological battlefield. And what we're asking for is not much. It really isn't. All we want is for these people to conduct themselves with a little dignity and to display just the faintest hint of gratitude for the country that they live in and represent and which has given them so much. If that's too much to ask for, then it's too much to ask us to root for you. I hope you fail, and I'm glad when you do. And also, you're canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day, everyone. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Koromina. 
Hair and makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. John Bickley here, editor-in-chief of The Daily Wire. Wake up every morning with our new show, Morning Wire. On today's episode, the Biden administration signals a possible shift in U.S. policy toward Cuba. A federal judge upholds a state university's vaccine mandate, and the U.S. reaches another landmark in illegal border crossings. Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire.